0: Gambling is pretty common. Some even say it's part of Australian culture. And for many people, it's a harmless activity, but for some, it can become an issue. Welcome to Let's Talk Gambling, the podcast, covering topics like kids' gaming and gambling, the risks of online gambling, and knowing when it's time to talk. This podcast series gets the conversation started. So Let's Talk Gambling with your host, Natalie Wright, Director, Office of Responsible Gambling, New South Wales.
1: Technology is changing so many aspects of our lives. With faster and better access to the internet, more of our lives are taking place online and gambling's no different. While some people might play the pokies at their local pub or buy a lotto ticket at the shops, others have taken their gambling online. There's been a lot of speculation about the growth in online gambling and the harm it might be causing to people. To help us understand what's really happening and what it means for our community, we have two guests today. Professor Nerolee Hing from CQ University has just completed a major study on this issue. Ned Anson is a peer educator and has personal experiences of the harm that online gambling can cause. Thank you to you both for joining us.
2: Thanks, Ned.
1: Thanks, Nat. First, the basics. Nerilee, when we talk about online gambling, what do we mean? What types of gambling can be done online?
2: So by online gambling, we mean any gambling for money that takes place on an internet connected device. So this can be your smartphone, your computer, your laptop, tablet, smart TV, even a gaming console if it's connected to the internet. And so online gambling is clearly different from gambling in land-based venues, that is gambling that's done in physical venues like pubs and clubs and casinos and and betting outlets. So in terms of what types of gambling can be done online, well, pretty much all types of gambling that can be done in land-based venues can also be done via an online mode as well. But I hasten to add that only certain types of online gambling can be legally provided to Australian residents. They comprise lotteries, race betting and sports betting. And when I say sports betting, that also includes obviously betting on the footy and soccer and cricket and those traditional sports, but also betting on e-sports and fantasy sports and novelty events as well. And in some states, Keno can also be legally provided online as well. But I guess having said that, there are plenty of Offshore operators who illegally provide gambling on the other forms to Australian residents, including slots or pokies, casino games like roulette or poker. And bingo, doing this by unlicensed offshore operators means that there's just no guarantee that the games are going to be fair or that, in fact, if you win, that you will be paid. So my advice would be if you're going to gamble online, ensure you do it with an operator that's licensed in Australia. And as I said, the only legal forms here are lotteries, race betting and sports betting.
1: Thanks, Neralee. And we often hear the media talking about the rise of online gambling and increases and all of those sorts of things. You've just completed a major national study on it. How popular is it? Who's taking it up? Who's actually
2: gambling online? So our team at the Experimental Gambling Research Laboratory at CQ University, we've just completed the second national study of interactive gambling and that was commissioned by Gambling Research Australia and as part of that study we did a nationally representative survey and it found that 17.5% of Australian adults had gambled online during 2019. We did the survey pre-COVID. So this was the second national survey on online gambling. And I also led the first national survey back in 2011. And at that point, only 8% of Australian adults gambled online. So to kind of sum that up, I guess, the prevalence of online gambling has more than doubled in the last eight years. That's amongst the whole population. If we look at just people who gamble, nearly one in three people who gambled in 2019, gambled online. This proportion has no doubt increased since COVID with restrictions on land-based gambling and ongoing lockdowns as well. So in terms of who's taking it up, well, lots of different people <laughs> gamble online and it might be just, you know, anyone just instead of going to the news agents to get their usual lottery ticket, they might get it online as well. But if we compare online gamblers to people who only gamble in land-based venues, we find that online gamblers are more likely to be male, to be younger, to be more educated in full-time employment on average and tend more to be single in de facto relationships. Some other differences are that online gamblers tend to bet on a greater variety of gambling activities and people who only bet in land-based venues and online gamblers tend to also gamble more frequently and to spend more money on gambling. But I do hasten to add that you know, most online gamblers also do some of their gambling In land-based venues, so perhaps they go to the local pub and play the pokies, for example, but they do tend to do most of their gambling online and on those legally provided forms, lotteries, sports and races.
1: And Neralee, how common is it that people experience harm from gambling online? Are there particular risks that people should be aware of?
2: So just to give the latest prevalence figure for problem gambling in Australia, it's now 1.2% of the adult population, and that's double the rate that we found back in 2011. Now, amongst just online gamblers, that figure is 3.9%. So in fact, online gamblers are about three times more likely to have a severe gambling problem compared to people who gamble only in land-based venues. Another about a quarter of online gamblers score in what we call the low risk and moderate risk categories on the measure that we use. So they reported some symptoms of a gambling problem, but it might not have been as severe as what we call the problem gambling category. So overall, harm is fairly common amongst people who gamble online. In fact, about one in three people who gamble online report some symptoms of a gambling problem, as well as harmful consequences to their financial situation or relationships or or psychological well-being. And those harms, of course, can extend to children, families, friends and others. While gambling problems are more common amongst people who gamble online, most online gamblers also gamble on land-based activities. And in fact, nearly half of the online gamblers in our surveys reported that Their gambling problems were not related to their online gambling, but instead linked to their land-based gambling and most often on the pokies or or gaming machines, as we call them. So pokies in pubs, clubs and casinos are still the major source of harm in Australia. I mean, online gambling certainly adds to that. But many more people are harmed by land-based pokies than by online gambling. So it's important not to sort of over-attribute problems to online gambling when some of those online gamblers actually experience problems, for example, with the pokies or land-based casino games. I think, Matt, you asked about factors that could increase the risks that people should be aware of. One of the major trends we've seen since 2011 is the rise of betting on smartphones, of course, particularly. On sports, so we saw a fourfold increase between 2011 and 2019 in the use of smartphones for betting, and that means is people have a betting device in their pocket and they can gamble anytime from any location, so from home, work, you know, when commuting, in bed, for example. We know, of course, that online gambling, unlike most land-based venues, is available 24/7. So this sort of fast and easy and convenient access can certainly increase. Potential for harm. Other aspects of online gambling that do or can increase risk for some people is the speed of it. It's just the ease and speed and the use of electronic money. So you can make deposits and you can bet really rapidly on your phone or your computer. That can facilitate for some people impulsive gambling and chasing losses and things like that. Also, unlike land based gambling, you can bet using your credit card online. So people can bet with money that they might not have and incur debts related to their gambling. Just a couple of other points I'd raise. Online gambling is very private. So in a venue, other people can see you betting where if you're betting on your phone, you know, no one's aware of that. You could just be texting someone or whatever you're doing on your phone. So there's no sort of social pressure that might help some people to moderate their gambling when they're doing it online, particularly on their phone. I guess the last factor that i would mention is that once you have an online betting account, You'll be inundated with offers of wagering inducements like bonus bet offers and things like that, which can tempt people to bet more. So all of that creates a very tempting environment that can make it particularly difficult for people to control their online gambling or if it does get out of control to sort of try and bring it back in hand.
1: Thanks, Neralee. And Ned, now over to you. You've experienced firsthand the way that online gambling can get out of hand. What was your experience?
3: Yeah, thanks, Matt. And, and firstly, let me just extend a big thank you to yourself and the team at the office for having me on today. I truly appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak about my experiences and hopefully help others along the way. So thank you very much. A lot of what Neralee said describes my experience very specifically and accurately. So the research has clearly done well, all the way from the demographics in terms of being a young fella interested in sports, in making a quick extra buck, all the way through to the specific things that Neroly talked about in terms of the privacy of it. The fact that you can bet with money that you sometimes don't have. Things like that are really true for my experience. What started as sort of casual betting with my mates and sometimes with family out at the races and things like that, I probably didn't realize how fast it was developing, but it progressed exponentially into something that was a real problem for me. So I was sort of involved in Facebook challenges where we were trying to win a huge amount of money. I'd be at the races all the time. I'd be watching sport and betting on sport all the time. I was actually working at a TAB as well at a pub. So I was really surrounded by that community at work and at home. I'd get contacted by people from the industry, like Merrily says, offering special deposit offers and corporate boxes at major sporting events and all these exciting things, my name was on somebody's list as a key contact to try and get strung up in, in what was going on. So my gambling really after say about a year, so I'd probably started casually at about 18, give it about a year and it really was starting to become an issue. So the time and the money that I was spending on gambling, the secrecy of it, the obsessiveness of it, it meant that I was now doing it on my own. It wasn't a social thing anymore. It was by myself. It was at all hours of the day. It was embarrassing. It was shameful. I developed sort of panic and stress that I hadn't felt before. It impacted my university, my work, my social life. I was not turning up to events, which is very unlike me. I was borrowing money. And all of this contributed to more shame, which unfortunately contributed to more gambling behaviors. It was a bit of cycle where the shame that I felt, I felt that I needed to fix it. And I felt that I needed to fix it by myself and fast. And the only way that I knew how to do that in that instant was to gamble more and chase my losses. And that just led down a vicious cycle where I was feeling more ashamed of myself and therefore gambling more as well. I tried to seek treatment a few times. It was a very confusing and difficult process. And I eventually had to be caught out to stop. I sort of stopped here and there, but I did continue gambling and never really got over it, never really learned to manage it at that time. Until a sort of a couple of big instances happened and I had to be put out again, this time sort of worse with more money, more secrecy, more lies. My family became involved in my recovery. I started to have more consistent counseling and accountability to others. That was a really big positive for me in my journey of recovery. And the idea of shame being an obstacle for aspects of recovery was a big thing that I learned out of that process. I was very reluctant to partake in the activities that are healthy for recovery, such as rewarding yourself for positive behaviors. I thought that I didn't deserve a reward. No matter what I'd done well, I'd done something so bad that I didn't deserve that. But getting over that idea of shame and actually trying to be rational and trying to get better was something that I really needed to grasp. And the fact that I was accountable to others as well, really encouraged my recovery rather than doing it all on my own. So that was a good step in my recovery. Unfortunately, that wasn't the end of it. I did have a relapse after about 18 months of non-gambling. About 12 months ago, I did have a little relapse. I sort of tricked myself into thinking I could give gambling and go again to test whether I could handle it in a social way. As soon as I did it, the terrible feelings of shame started to come up again. What have I done? I've broken my streak. I was going so well. How could I let this happen again? And that led down the same path. But I take a lot of strength out of the relapse experience, even though it was a real tough time. I actually stopped this time before I was caught. And that was the first time that I had stopped myself. And I take a lot of strength out of that. So I actually really, really learned a lot out of that relapse experience. After that relapse, I genuinely lost interest as well in, in the gambling activities that I was sort of previously really involved in, in a problematic way, specifically horse racing. And I haven't felt interested since I sort of kept that interest when I was trying to stop here and there, but I kept following horses on the side. Even if I wasn't gambling, I was still keeping one eye open to the horses, horses that I'd follow. I'd keep an eye on the odds on sport and kind of be interested in a way, but After the relapse, I've lost that. I'm not interested in horse racing. The sports that I follow are because of the sport, which is such a relief. And the idea of choice to me is a really big one that I've learned after that relapse as well, which is I'm now in a position where I choose not to gamble rather than necessarily saying I can't ever gamble again. It's going to hold this power over me. I can't touch it. I can't go near it. Now for me, it is part of my strength to choose not to gamble. It's not something that I want to do. I'm grateful for things. I'm enjoying life outside of gambling. And that just sort of solidifies the reasons not to gamble for me. When I gamble, I'm not having a good time. When I don't gamble, I enjoy life. So that's been a really big strength to take out of that experience. And I've sort of found myself again. When you're problem gambling, you lose yourself. The things that you love about yourself that give you good self-esteem can often get lost. But through recovery, I have found myself again. And I'm putting time and effort into things that I actually enjoy and things that are rewarding, like such as this podcast, honestly. And those ventures are so much more fulfilling than putting that time and effort into gambling. So, yeah, I find myself here today feeling pretty strong, but definitely knowing exactly the downsides and and the dangers of, of problem gambling.
1: Thanks, Ned. And thanks for being so open, sharing that story. It can't be easy, but I really hope it helps anyone listening today that's going through a similar thing and know that there is a way out and that it can be achieved. I understand that you're sharing your story to help others, which is really fantastic. Can you tell us about your work as a peer educator in the gambling and recovery course you've helped design?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So a key part of my recovery and the success of my recovery and and the good parts of it was meeting my counsellor from GambleAware. Recovery, I've sort of learned, isn't just about stopping and managing a problem behavior, but it's an ongoing process of improvement altogether. My counselor had faith in me and my story, which was wonderful. And through open discussions with her in our therapy sessions, she provided me with these opportunities to help others. So things like today and things like the Recovery and Wellbeing College. And particularly when things were at their worst for me, the idea of being able to one day help others through the experience was honestly what kept my spirit. And I'm at a place now where I can do that. And so I'm truly grateful for that. And so a great example of that is the Recovery and Wellbeing College that you speak about. So I was able to collaborate with a clinical psychologist and we designed the first gambling and recovery course for the college, who are part of New South Wales Health. The college does fantastic work for sort of all sorts of topics, mental health, addiction. And yeah, we designed the first one for gambling recovery. So we debuted that. September, just now, last month. We ran two modules online, obviously, at the moment. The course was really cool. It was a great experience for me in strengthening my own resolve. And I hope that the same sort of outcomes were had by the participants as well. So The college is really great. They've supported the course and they're looking to add it into the curriculum for next year as well for two terms. So we're looking to continue that on, which is really great to hear. Honestly, having the time to put that time and that effort into helping others is wonderful. Once upon a time, I was putting that same time and effort into something that was destructive. It was destructive for myself, for my family, for my friends. And when you put time and effort into something that is hurting yourself and others, it is crushing. But when you can turn that around and actually put that time and effort into helping others, it is energising, it's uplifting. It's where I'm at today, thankfully. So I'm really happy to be in the position I'm in now.
1: Thanks, Ned. That's really positive. What advice would you give to people out there who do gamble online or are considering it?
3: Yeah, look, I'm not one to sort of tell people how to best live their lives or anything like that, but through my experiences with gambling, This is an activity that I would strongly encourage people to stop and just ask why first. So I think it's a really important question to ask yourself. Why do you want to have a punt? What are you punting on? Are you punting on sport, horses, pokies? Why? Question everything. Just make it a nuisance for yourself. Do you like sport? then why do you want to turn it into something that it's not enjoy sport for the sport? Do you like horse racing? Why? Is it just because you want to have that winning feeling or do you truly enjoy the sport? Do you like pokies? Do you really like pokies? Take the punting out of it and see what actually keeps your interest. Whatever keeps your interest when the stakes, when your money is not involved, stick with that and enjoy it. You'll love it so much more when you can be present with it. And when the outcome of your bet doesn't determine your enjoyment of the event have a punt if you want to but just challenge yourself along the way like you would with any hobby or activity question why question whether it's good for you make sure it doesn't take over you or contaminate something that you already enjoy if you're hiding it then you need to do something about it don't put it all on yourself your circles will help you just let them help you don't try and take it all on by yourself you're not a bad person for gambling but if you need help don't try and do it all yourself that's the best advice i can give
1: that's really great advice. Here at Gamble Aware, we've also got a Reclaim the Game program, which is very much about getting back to what sport's all about and trying to remove the betting from it. Likewise, not saying, you know, don't bet, but it's very much about sport should be enjoyed for sport. So really aligned in that approach. Neralee, over to you again. Online gambling obviously brings with it risks and different risks probably to land-based. Some of those risks you've already talked about. Can it also offer some solutions for people? Are there ways that you can use technology to reduce some of the risk?
2: Yeah, thanks, Nat. And also, look, first of all, let me say thank you to Ned for sharing your story so openly and honestly. That was really insightful and I'm sure will be helpful for people. So, to go back to Nat's question, yes, there are definitely ways that technology can be used to reduce risk. And so, with online gambling, of course. So, the National Consumer Protection Framework for Online Gambling is in the process of introducing a range of measures to help people to control their betting. So, I'll just give you a couple of examples from that as examples of how technology can be used to assist people to try and maintain control over their gambling or regain control over it. So one example is it's now mandatory for wagering operators to enable customers to be able to set a deposit limit on their betting account. So you can go into your online account and you can nominate, for example, not to deposit more than $10 a week or $50 a month or whatever you want to set your limit at. Another measure that's soon to be introduced is the National Self-Exclusion Register, So where customers can bar themselves from betting with all Australian licensed operators and our research team at CQU is actually advising on some of the research to inform that system. And my understanding is that system will be launched next year. And I think, you know, that's a really good initiative because it will be a sort of one stop shop where people can go online or ring up and have themselves barred from all operators to help them control their betting. Customers can also access a betting activity statement. So that's like a bank statement, but it shows betting transactions and that might help them keep track of their expenditure. And you can also, of course, opt out of receiving push marketing from operators as well. So that might help to reduce those temptations that Ned and others in our research talked about. So there are a number of consumer protection tools that have been made possible by the technology. But of course, customers need to opt into using them. And for people who have very strong urges to gamble, that's a such a difficult thing for people to do. So they're not always effective for people who are at quite the pointy end of a problem, shall we say. So in the study that we did, we, as well as surveys, we did lots of interviews as well. And one group of people we interviewed were people who had experienced problems with their online betting, they overwhelmingly felt that while these tools were good and many of them had tried them, just maintaining that was very difficult for them. And they certainly felt that the online operators could be much more proactive in monitoring customers' betting behaviour for signs of problem gambling behaviours and to better support them to limit their gambling if needed. And they also felt that other practices needed to change to better protect consumers, some of the things that Ned has talked about. So less advertising and inducements, not allowing betting on a credit card, enabling binding limits to be set across all betting accounts, for example. So they're just some examples, I guess, of how online gambling technology can provide options for customers to reduce harm, but it certainly doesn't help everybody. And the technology, the flip side of that, of course, is the technology poses distinctive risks of harms for the reasons that we've talked about earlier. So, you know, I would echo Ned's point and Matt's point too, to say, if you're concerned about your gambling, if you're doing it in secret, if you're feeling any shame and guilt, if you're having trouble staying in control, then seek help and reach out to people around you.
1: Thanks, Neralee. And before we wrap up, Ned, is there anything else that you'd like to add that we haven't covered?
3: I would just probably emphasize the fact that if you're having trouble with gambling, you're not a bad person for it. So find help, try and be better, of course, but it's not on you. Don't blame yourself, but try and still help yourself.
2: Thank you. And Neralee, any final comments from you? Not really. I think we've sort of covered major points here, but I'd certainly echo Ned's point again about don't let this thing go on for you. Chances are, if you're starting to get a problem, it's very likely to keep getting worse. And so, you know, reach out to those around you and to professional services to try and nip it in the bud as soon as you can.
1: Sure. So, That's all for this episode of Let's Talk Gambling. I'd really like to thank Neralee and Ned for sharing your expertise and also your personal experience. Really great to have you sharing that with us today. And as emphasised, if you are struggling, if you want to cut back, if you just want to learn more about some of the tools that are available to help you better manage your online gambling, you can go to gambleaware.nsw.gov.au. Or you can call 1-800-858-858 and that number is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. There's multiple options for you, many, many different ways that you can get support through those services. And also, if today's podcast has raised any issues for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 44.
0: Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Gambling, the podcast. Are you ready to talk gambling? Start the conversation today by reaching out to your loved ones or calling Gamble Aware on one 858 858 for free confidential advice and support. Not quite sure? Tune in to the next episode. Visit gambleaware.newsouthwales.gov.au for more information or call Gamble Aware on one 858 858